0: All right, well, welcome everyone to the Type One Stances and Attachment Styles podcast. I am so excited to be with each of you. And before we jump in, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and tell us where you're from.
1: I'm Pam. I'm
2: from Chicago. I'm Steve. I'm in Fort Collins, Colorado.
3: I'm Lauren. I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Jane. I'm in Ellicott City.
0: Well, welcome again to each of you. We're going to have a good time here as we explore something. This is very much a kind of research project for us again. Stances and attachment styles both have this sort of fundamental theory that undergirds it, which is this is the way, the strategy, that different people get their needs met in the context of personal relationships, of close relationships. And so what we're wondering about, is how that shows up for the type ones. And is there a sort of starting point in terms of stances? Is there a go-to for your attachment style? And then we'll talk a little bit about how we grow through all of that. So who would like to get us started and just kind of talk to us about your stance? And also how, like, what's your starting stance? And then does it show up differently in different contexts?
1: Yeah, I would say my dominant stance is definitely the toward the dutiful. For me, it's about seeking emotional connection and also that like kind of depth and like an intimate space and also like a a meaningful space to know that my presence in that space is valuable, that the person I'm with or the people I'm with, that I can add something there, whether it's one-on-one or in a group. So that's my dominant, but I do tend to Lex depending on the situation and also depending on the um, stances of the other people is what
0: I noticed. So say more about that what does that look like in terms of the stance other people's stances That's right?
1: Well it came through strongest when I was thinking through this. It was just fascinating It was wonderful to think through this but I have some very strong at against people in my family of origin. One is now passed away, but one is very much alive. And what I notice there is that I tend to default into withdrawing in that context. And what it's about is that those people tend to have a really intense pushback, really overpowering energy and often thoughts and opinions coming at me a bit more quickly than i can process and so i often feel and this is where my one comes out like i can't respond intelligently in the moment it just i get forced into maybe moving at their pace and so as opposed to that i tend to withdraw and it often looks like just observing, listening. I may ask a couple questions, but I don't generally insert myself in there.
4: Mm. Mm. Generally speaking, with your closest relationships, what would you say your your typical order is? If your first is toward, what would your typical two following ones be?
1: I would say toward and then withdrawing and then at or against. Mm-hmm. When I'm pushed up against the wall, at, at or against comes out.
4: Do you know your dominant instinct?
1: I am self president Okay. So the toward stance, I believe, is about security, significance, feeling safe in
4: the relationship. And how about your um, dominant attachment style?
1: I would say that is anxious, ambivalent. That's the one I tested highest in, and that's the one that, uh, that I resonated with the most. Okay,
0: good. This is great data. Yeah. Others of you, what's it, what's it like for you?
5: So I identify with a lot of Pam said about toward being dominant stance. That's a go-to way of dealing with people in relationships is the toward working with, try to get what I want that way. And my dominant instinct is also the sexual. So that Intensity of close relationships is also what really draws me in. And I would say the context differences for me or like my stacking in the stances. If toward working out, I get frustrated and stressed out, then I move to against. Like that is where I go in stress. Like, all right, you don't want to work with me? Well, then. I'm gonna pull you over this way instead. And then my like last refuge, if nothing else is working, is withdraw. But that's a much more rare circumstance for me. I really wanna be dealing with people one way or another, either with them if I can, against them if I have to, but withdraw is pretty last resort for me.
4: Mm. Lauren, do you know your Attachment style?
5: Yeah, I think my default with new relationships is definitely the preoccupied, anxious attachment. But I think in most of my closest relationships now as an adult, I have earned secure attachment. So that's what I have with my relationships now. But again, in times of stress, there's something even those mostly secure relationships, I default back to more of the anxious style.
0: Got it. Thank you. Yeah, this is interesting. And it's something that I wondered about with the sexual instinct is if that plays a role and self preservation plays a role. And it sounds so far like it does. So that's really helpful.
1: I don't know if it's helpful, but my uh, sexual is my second. I don't know where it falls for you, Lauren. So,
4: Pam, your you know. self pres and then your sexual second? Yes. Right. Okay. Steve,
2: what about you? So this was hard for me to wrap my brain around. Joel, you and I went back and forth yeah. a few times. We spent time on a Zoom together and then some emails back and forth. It was really the verbiage behind the word dependent because as a one, I feel independent. I don't feel like I depend on people unless I really, really trust them to do a job as good as me or better. And <laughs> I don't, I don't like to give that power away to people because I feel unsettled if it's out of my control, because I want the outcome to be a certain way. Yeah. And so I had to dig deeper into the language around being dependent and then looking at moving toward that helped me. And then when I looked at dependent for getting my needs met emotionally or what the core messages that I believe about myself, it helped me understand it a little bit better. And so I definitely move towards people for areas in my life that define who I am. And so I kind of broke those down. And the first one is like performance-based. Being good at things really matters to me. Mm. And having people acknowledge that I'm good at things really matters to me. And so I rarely step into a situation where I haven't practiced or tried something or somewhat mastered it on my own before I do it in front of other people, because I don't wanna be criticized. I don't want to have attention put on me for not being competent or skilled or whatever. And so I'm super dependent on people to validate my performance. And I need that validation to feel like I'm actually good at doing something. The second one that stuck out to me was situations where my character is in question or the definition of who I am as a person. Am I a good person? Do I do good things? Do I bring value to the world? Is my contribution level high? And really looking for people to acknowledge that in me and say, you're good. I had been in a conflict with someone and I was talking to a mutual friend about it and and processing it and being really open and honest and vulnerable with him about the scenario and situation, acknowledging what I did wrong, talking about what I was frustrated with the other guy. And he kind of stopped me in the conversation. And he just said, Steve, you're a good man. And mm. like, I, I almost started crying on the call mm-hmm. because mm. those words were so powerful because I felt a ton of shame about the conflict. I, I felt bad about myself. I felt like I didn't handle it right. And I was trying to make it right. And for him to stop and to say those words were so validating to me because my character is so important to me.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And the third one is, is am I lovable? And I think that hits at the core of my very deep relational needs, you know, especially with, Mm -hmm. with my wife, Ginger, am I worth loving when I screw up, when I make mistakes, when I don't love you well, am I still worth loving? And if I make the same mistakes over and over again, am I still worth loving? Yeah. And so I'm dependent on people to answer those questions about me. And what I kind of learned through it is, I need to have the discernment to really decide who I allow to tell me who I am, you (laughs) know, and what that message is. Because if I give too much of that power away to other people, instead of knowing who I am at my core, I'm dependent on them to tell me who I am. And I'm not sure that's ever going to fill me. And I'm not sure that's ever going to truly meet my needs.
0: Interesting. Wow. That's really good and really insightful. That gets at that core of like, what is going on with that one, two, six triad? And each one is going to experience that, whether it's dependency or it's dutifulness. That seems to ring true for the ones, the twos, and the sixes. It's, it's a different approach to getting the needs met. Steve, what's your dominant instinct? Uh, self press. Okay. What's the second one <laughs> after that
2: for you? What's the yeah. Right? So it'd be, it'd be social and then, and then sexual is, is pretty far off
0: from there. Okay. So then in terms of the stances, your first one is that dutiful, that toward as we're calling yes. it. What's the second one for you? It's contextual.
2: Okay. So, so if it's in business, uh, if it's in project management, if it's in anything that I have to get done and it has to be done quick, right, and efficiently. I will go to the aggressive stance because I will pursue people. I will stalk them. I will <laughs> call them until they answer. Uh, I will follow up. I mean, I will pursue and, and, and aggressively go after whatever I need to have done to check something off my list. If it's relational and I feel like my performance is being criticized, or my character is called into question, or I don't feel loved, or I'm out of sync in relationship. I will go to the withdrawing stance that usually is triggered by shame, feeling worthless. And I will sit in that space and kind of lick my wounds and try to figure out how I can re engage. And love myself enough, believe in myself enough to re-enter into that relationship with that person. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that could be hours, sometimes that could be days. Uh, And I don't like being in that space. It does not meet my needs (laughs) when I'm in that space. It's a very unhealthy place that I go to.
0: Well, this is what's fascinating. It's like, it's a withdrawing feels to me and see if this is true for you. It feels to me like that's the protective. That's like the, if my needs by going toward aren't being met, then man, I withdraw and I get into that protective stance. It is protective but damaging at the same time because oh,
2: okay yeah it, it, it i feel like it's it's a pseudo protection i feel like oh i can't handle what i'm receiving i have to withdraw but when i withdraw then i disengage from relationship and then when i disengage from relationship it hurts the people i'm in relationship with and then that adds more shame and then it takes me longer to dig myself out of that hole and then make things right and then get on with relationship
0: Wow. Interesting. There was a the withdrawing that is, as you've articulated, protective, but it doesn't really serve you or the people around you. And is there a point at which also withdrawing the withdrawn stance or the the away stance helps you? Is there times where it helps you to kind of go, well, you know, I need to kind of pull back and reassess some things. I need to think through some things. Is there, is there a positive side to that?
2: Yes, it can be positive when it's with people in my life that don't deserve to be in my inner circle. People <laughs> that haven't earned that right to speak into my life and they've wounded me, hurt me, said things that are just not great. Withdrawing from that relationship and not allowing that to continue to influence me can be positive. Mm. Uh, I think it takes on more of a negative when it's, you know, with family and loved ones.
0: Yeah. Very good. Jane.
3: So for stances, I felt kind of torn between the at or against and the toward, you know, as I read those descriptions, I really saw myself in both places. And some of the comments that have been made around, you know, the duty that is absolutely there, that idea of like a certain amount of self-sacrifice in order to get to what is good and, and what is right. Also the idea of it's important for me to know what the rules are so that I can also maneuver around them as well. So I think that is probably my general stance, but there's also A decent amount of at or against when it comes to workplace. And, you know, I've seen that increase over the years as I've taken on positions where I am not just responsible for my own performance, but that of others as well. Because then, you know, as as Steve said, it's like my name's on the line or my reputation's on the line. And so, you know, I, I feel like I need to execute in sometimes a different way. And it might mean that I've got an agenda that, you know, I've sold to somebody and now I need to deliver on. The other interesting place where I can sometimes see this happening is it's been a long time since I've had a partner, like a romantic partner in my life. And so I've gotten accustomed to kind of having it my way in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, I have two teenagers, but you know, I'm the one who's setting the rules for the house. And so I don't have to navigate some of those dynamics with an equal partner and with my kids. I think I'm open-minded to a certain extent, but I often, I have my agenda of what I want to do um and you know how i want things to be done and uh, you know i can sometimes be you know sort of manipulative around that and then in a situation like pam when you were saying that you know sometimes if somebody's really aggressive you'll kind of withdraw well i do that as well if i really feel like somebody is pushing at me or there's something that is really emotionally charged that happens, then I too will really withdraw as well. In conflict, I have never been somebody who is really quick with my words. I need time to think, I need to process and maybe, you know, write down some notes or do some journaling or whatever. I've never been able to like fire off some, you know, some comments or some comebacks or anything. It's like three days later and I've got it. And I'm like, all right, now I'm ready for you. But I'm going to have to lob this and then run because I'm, you know, I'm not going to be prepared for you to come back at me with something. And, you know, what is my instinct? And it was very much social I can't really remember the order between sexual and self-preservation. I think it went self-preservation and then sexual, but it was a pretty wide gap between social and when you got to those those other two. And then as far as my attachment style, it's avoidant. And that was back from doing some work on that in a relationship, in a an intimate relationship. And I can see that, you know, that is still the direction that I want to go. But as a parent, you know, I don't, well, my kids might say I do that a little bit, but I, I don't think that I do it in the way that I have operated in other relationships. So...
0: So I'm curious about the, because you've mentioned context and a few of you have mentioned that, that it shows up differently, particularly at work. If something is given to you or you're, you know, in charge and you're taking on a role, your name is on that. And so there's a reputation piece to it. There's a character piece to it. And so for that, you're going to really kind of lean in and more towards like, I'm going to guide this, I'm going to direct this. I'm going to be a bit more, more against in the way I communicate to others. And then when it comes to closer relationships, that shifts a little bit. It's not as much of that. So my, my question to you is, in what way, when you go to the against, in what way does that serve your need as a one? You know, we can see how the toward is doing that, like or the dependent, however we want to look at it, the dutiful. Because they again, this came out very clear as to this is what I'm doing in order to gain the affirmation that I am good, right? But then, you know, when we moved to the withdrawing, we saw that as protective, and then sometimes as, you know, a way to ensure that that we don't get hurt again. So it is protective in that sense. But then the at or against, what does that do for you? How does it help you? You know, meet your core need.
5: For me, when at or against comes up, it's more often as a backup for if my toward didn't work. So I don't go to it in a very healthy way. For me, it's more of a stress response and something isn't going right. And that's not for me as one. So I go into more of a fight mode that it has to be the right way. Clearly I know what that is. So if you're not going along with me when I'm being nice, you better go along with me when I'm feeling more against
0: yeah. I love what you're saying, Lauren, as the, so the sexual one uh, tends to have that. And I've noticed this with the sexual ones I've coached is there's a quick movement from my starting point is the dutiful. It's the toward, but then the quick one that comes after is the, um, the against. Yeah. And I like how you're articulating that it's because the first one didn't work. So I quickly go to the second. Right. And for you, that is your second, uh, then say, the other ones here who other than Jane, I think you said for you, it it can show up as your second as well pretty quickly. So that's a, that's an interesting takeaway and, and then your third to your mind would be that obviously the withdrawing and that's that to you is like a really bad place for you if you end up there. So it seems like first one didn't work, second one I used to see if I can get the first one, you know mm-hmm. if I can get my needs met. and then the third one's the the Hail Mary sort of thing.
1: Yeah. I wonder if I might jump in on the withdrawing. Yeah. So I was thinking about your question, like, because that's not my dominant go-to. I tend to move toward, but as I was talking about, and Jane kind of related to about at against people, and I was thinking sometimes it feels way self-protective, but sometimes it also feels like it's a space where I can... Collect myself. I can return to myself, mm-hmm. which is harder for me to do when I am faced with that intense energy. And it made me think about it. Just to say, I gather my thoughts. And was it Steve or Jane? One of you was saying, "I never, you know, do anything without writing it down." Or I feel that way too. I I want to craft all my thoughts and. The challenge even with this space was like, I have to trust that I'm going to know what to say Mm. in the moment and I don't have to script it all out. But I was thinking about like, what is a growth for me in the face of at against people? And there's a lot of again, at against people uh, sort of in the world and in my life is that I can use my dominant strategy, the toward to connect with them in meaningful ways, like ways that are comfortable for me and are natural for me. And for me, part of it is maybe giving myself permission to maybe not engage in or match their intensity or their pace even, because Mm -hmm. I can't keep up. Jane, you were talking about. It. I just think slower. I do, and when that's coming at me, I I feel overwhelmed. So to give myself permission to not move at their pace, to move at my pace, and to not maybe let their insistence or their pace drive mine. Mm. Uh, to breathe and take time to develop my thoughts, and if I can do that. <laughs> I'm a lot more comfortable in that space. And I think I have more to offer. I Mm -hmm. I can add value to that space. I think Steve, you kind of used those words. And I so resonated with that. That's, you know, the question is how can I add value here? Like, does my presence add something? And Mm -hmm. can it? That's what I'm always, that's a question I'm always asking. And Like just to be able to show up as me and be comfortable with who I am and who I'm not.
0: Mm. I love that we're getting under the skin of the one here a lot more than perhaps we have in some other panels that we've done, because this takes the one out of the stereotype of like everything is about perfection. Everything is like, you know, really black and white. This puts on some heart to this whole thing of like, Mm -hmm. this is your desire to really have impact, have meaning, have significance in relationships with other people. So thank you for sharing that. I'd love to continue a little bit on that. One of the things I want to note and feel free to expound on this or to just continue on, what are you learning? How are you growing towards more towards secure attachment? You know, some of you started say, you, you know, you start with more of an anxious, preoccupied or anxious ambivalent. Um, Those are used interchangeably, but it's kind of that, like, I can't have my needs met, so I need you to meet my needs. It's kind of more of that energy. And then the others are sort of dismissive and avoidant, and they're the ones who say, no, I don't trust anybody to meet my needs, I'll meet my needs. But there's a good to each of the stances. So, you know, we're saying that you might start here and then you go there and it doesn't work for you, but that doesn't mean that the stance itself is bad. What it means is that for us, oftentimes we have this unconscious movement through the stances that are not helpful to us. And so it's becoming aware of them so that we can actually choose the stance that's appropriate for the situation. So it's more of a conscious kind of approach to getting our needs met. And the same thing with the uh, attachment styles. It's, oh yeah, I can I can feel that avoidance in me or I can feel the anxious preoccupied in me and then tune into something else. I can do something different here. So yeah, let's talk about how are you growing? What are you learning? And what has worked for you?
2: Yeah, for me, looking at attachment theory was fascinating. I scored secure attachment, uh, which if you would have known me as a child or in my 20s or even my 30s, that wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense. It's been earned secured attachment uh, through my marriage and through having a wife that, you know, has been pretty amazing and has helped me earn that secure attachment. I grew up in a really... A really legalistic home, mostly from my mom. She was very religious and I think she was an Enneagram one and it was, it was very unhealthy. And I had a dad that was very critical and would withdraw uh, for long periods of time, like sometimes weeks at a time where he would not acknowledge anyone in the house when he went to that place. And so a lot of that mixed parental message from my mom of you'll never be good enough for God and my dad of if you screw up, I'm not going to talk to you led me to, I think, having disorganized because it's so Hmm. highly focused on that, that critical. And I think that those messages are really kind of what formed me as a one because so much of what is in the disorganized really is a lot of things that one struggle with. As I've gotten more healthy, the second one was kind of avoidant. And that's really kind of ties in to the uh, withdrawing stance for me, uh, where I kind of turtle up and go away from everybody and check out. Um, I've been very aware of what my dad did. I try not to repeat that with my wife and with my kids. But sometimes I, I get stuck in that cycle for a day, you know, mm. of where I just can't go there. And so it's taken me a long time and most of my adult life working through my stuff and having people around me that love and support me to get me to that secure attachment. And I mean, I think for whoever's listening that is resonating with that, you can get there. There is hope. You don't have to be stuck in something forever. You can get that earned secured attachment. And yeah, that was pretty cool. And I'm super grateful for it.
0: Yeah, I love the one coming through like you can improve <laughs> <laughs> I didn't give you I didn't give you three ways
2: to improve I only gave you one I didn't get yeah. one at all <laughs> uh, that's
0: great
1: I was just gonna <laughs> offer one thing for me in, in terms of like that anxious energy that I have a bit of ambivalent, you know, seeking the connection anxiously and feeling that anxiety when I don't feel like the connection is secure. That happens with my kids and my husband and everything. Sometimes I need to just pull away a bit and be reminded that whether or not it feels like it in the moment, the connection is secure we are in a, a relationship where we're committed. Like the context of the relationship is such that, that that person is not going to go away. And yeah. so that anxiety that I'm feeling, uh, yeah. it can be resolved a little bit, but I I have to sort of come back to myself.
0: Yeah. You're saying something so important here because this thing of like, we all feel like we are, so it's not just the, the threes who feel like they're every day is a, a day, you know, where it's like, it's a, I'm on a job interview for everything I do. It's is like a performance thing, right? Mm-hmm. Ones feel it in the sense of like, every day it's like, I've got to go from this sense of not good to good. I've got to earn that, right? And at any point you can go right back to zero, right? I think all of us types have this sort of like, we don't carry the truth that we're good enough, that we have enough, that we're okay from day to day. And what you're describing there is is exactly that. Like, I have to remind myself, this relationship is okay. Like I haven't failed the relationship to the degree that I'm going to be like rejected and everything has fallen apart. And if I could just
1: offer one other thing with regard to, I, I keep coming back to these at or against people, but I seem to be mostly challenged by that. And that's what pulls me into a withdrawing stance. But the positive of the withdrawing is that if I know that I am going into a, a setting, maybe I'm visiting family or whatever, and I, I will be in a setting with someone who comes on very strongly, like what I was describing, I take time before I go to make sure that I'm centered in myself. Mm. Like that I have found a grounded, centered space. And often if my husband, who is a just a solid presence in my life, we've been married for 30 years, he's a very grounding presence. And there are situations where I'm going into uh, that kind of energy that's family or extended family. And I, he and I will talk about that ahead of time. And, you know, he, he will help me stay grounded in some way.
0: Hmm. That's wonderful. What is that like uh, for others of you here? What Are you learning? How are you discovering some things about yourself and in terms of the stances and attachment styles that help you to move forward?
3: Well, one of the things that I notice is that when I spend a lot of time with someone that has a different stance, I can pick up on some of that. So, You know, over the last couple of years, I worked really closely with a woman who was more at the at or the against stance. And she was really fast paced and, you know, very big presence and, you know, pretty assertive. And I found ways to be more comfortable around that and, you know, some of it was recognizing that that wasn't always the way that I approached things, that I could not infrequently get things to move in a direction or, you know, get things that I wanted or needed or we not needed for, for our work by taking a different approach and taking one that was more engaging of people. But at the same time, as As time has passed and I'm not working as closely with that person anymore, I've found that I've picked up some of the things from her, but it feels like in an effective way. So like my pace has picked up and I've been able to be more assertive and and direct with people as well in order to make a point or get what, what is needed from someone. And, you know, that idea of kind of planning and action, I feel like I moved in that direction a little bit more. But part of the reason is because I also see that that's another way to be good or to be better is, you know, if you can get more done Mm -hmm. and done well, that's a good thing too so you know I feel like I've picked up things that are serving me well at least in the short term they're serving me well to what Pam said you know I think you know what you were sharing is is really more about finding a more authentic balance and peace and maybe I'm not getting there yet but I am getting needs met you know mm-hmm. the the needs that I'm Prioritizing right now, Matt.
0: Yeah. Well, that's an important point to make because I don't think that the dominant stance serves us really well when we're functioning in that dominant stance in a very reactive, unconscious way. And then what we discover is, oh, someone else is in the at and I'm in the toward, and they seem to be okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, They seem to be fine. And I wonder if I could do that. And then as we try that on, we discover, wow. The core need that I have, although it didn't get met through my typical stances ap- approach to getting that need met, somehow it still got met or the need isn't as profound. It isn't 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 as active inside me mm-hmm. as I've taken a different approach.
3: Yeah. And I wonder, I don't know if, if others feel this way, but sometimes I I don't know if I overthink it or not, but I almost feel... In my toward i you know, in that relational piece, I almost feel like it's it's a little bit manipulative too. and I you know I kind of maybe I overthink it, but I find myself kind of running these computations in my head around, you know, if I ask that of that person, is that you know pushing a little too much or you know, what's in a reasonable amount to really expect from this person. And so there's like all these little equations that are kind of running through my head at the same time. And because of that, I start to wonder if I'm manipulative and I don't necessarily think that I am. I think I'm just really paying a lot of attention to it.
4: Yeah, I'm wondering why you interpret it that as manipulation, because the way you described it doesn't sound like manipulation to me. It sounds strategic, right? So yeah. I hear the one and a lot yeah. of what you were saying before, we were hearing the social yeah. instinctive play big time when you were talking about the the reading and interpreting of others. So you're saying I pick up on other stances and how to relate to them. So you're using the social for that bonding and affiliating. And it sounds like the calculating is like the strategic part of that. So I don't know if this is like the one being too judgmental to themselves or yeah. if you're seeing something in there that that I'm not, because I wouldn't have interpreted what you just described as manipulative.
5: I think as people who are socialized as female, we get really strong messages that to be strategic is manipulative. Um, Oh, like, that's not something we're allowed to do. So if you're getting that from the outside, that can sink in. And of course, as ones we're going to feel guilt, even if your core self, you wouldn't you don't really think you're being manipulative. You've said that yourself, but a lot of other people might interpret it that way, you know, to stand down or, you know, be quiet and be in your place. Um, and go along with the flow rather than being strategic to get your own needs met.
4: Yeah. Interesting. I saw Pam nodding on that. I'm wondering what Pam and what Jane think of that. Uh, interpretation.
5: <laughs> I was
1: writing notes, but it was, it brought up something. I don't use the same word manipulative, but I realized that, you know, I was writing notes about even with close friends and this feels like growth to me. Is just sort of, Maybe not questioning my motivations, but asking the question All right, when I'm reaching out, you know, when I'm seeking that attachment, when I want to make sure the relationship is secure, is it because I'm really wanting the connection with that person? Or is it because it's a quest for worthiness or value or something? And it gets really muddy in there. And I know that. You know, motivations aren't particularly clean, but I think that's where I get a little tripped up. Uh, Sometimes maybe I guard time when I'm working on a project and then I realize then I get to a point in the project where I'm done and then I'm looking at like open time and I'm thinking, oh, I should connect with someone. And so then is that connection about, because I have time, is that connection about wanting to fill the space or is it really like, am I really moving toward that person in friendship and care and mutuality and all of those things? So it it's not clean for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes anything clear, but Jane, I'm, <laughs> I'm relating to what you said.
0: There's a good to that toward? And the way that some of you have described it, I know that Steve, you and I have talked offline many times about some of the relationships you've had with people where you've been able to listen and hear them and really create that space where they feel heard and understood. And that's been one of the most um, meaningful experiences for you. And that, I think, is a tremendous high side to the, to the toward within the one. Uh, ones can create space for other people in ways that they feel seen, they feel heard, they feel held and guarded. So um, that's a good thing. And then, of course, like all of us, it's also there. It can be used uh, to try to meet some perceived need, the need that the type tells us, you know, this is what you need. And then we are in our unconscious way of trying to go about meeting that need. So I wanted to just clarify that, particularly for uh, those who are listening to this podcast, that we're not saying that the starting point is bad. Or that, you know, you you should have a different stance. What we're saying is that as we bring it to conscious, the level, we can actually leverage the positive, the good of that. But also, like you're mentioning, Pam, recognizing, oh, is this really, you know, without overdoing it, because that's part of the type one, right? Becoming very self-conscious. Like, is this driven by, you know, a motivation to kind of check in to see if if we're good still, you know, Mm -hmm. if our relationship's okay, Uh, if I'm okay? I'm seeking maybe a little validation and just paying attention to those sort of things. But other than that, to recognize, I think, again, that uh, there's this thing that Jim and I have been talking about, which is the fourth way. And that is the the stance of, that we're calling the with stance, which is really about understanding, like, what is the right stance here that I need to be using? And that is what helps us to know in this situation, I do need to pull away. It is the right thing to do. I, you know, I don't trust these people, right? And for maybe some very good reasons, I need to pull away. Oh, I need to actually create some strong boundaries in this relationship. Mm-hmm. And I can, right? So that's the yeah. against stance. So those are the things that we're exploring much more about how to what does it look like to grow? And then from the attachment styles is to be able to really move from, I don't ask for things that I need, and I really need to ask. And I also need to receive. And I also need to at times meet my own needs. Like I, you know, don't need to um, be always chasing or, or pursuing people. Um, so it's it's that that kind of thing that we're talking about here that um is what we're aiming at. So any thoughts around that? Anything come up for, for you as I'm sharing this?
5: Yeah, for me, I feel like I've done most growth in attachment recently. By becoming aware and conscious of it, like you were talking about, about the stances, you know, just bringing things to be explicit and know what you're doing. For me, that's helped a lot in attachment. So again, my default is the more anxious preoccupied style, but most of my close relationships now are more secure. And the biggest resource that's helped me recently is a book called Polysecure, um, and it's about secure relationship attachments in people who have polyamorous relationships like I do. So I have multiple romantic partners and each of them has a different default attachment stance as well. So by learning about the attachment styles, I can see in each of them like, oh, that's them being uh, dismissive. And this, this is why, because these are you know, some of the things they went through as a kid or, you know, in previous relationships. So having that understanding of where their behaviors are coming from makes me a lot more gracious and feel more calm and accepting in our relationship, because I know it's not really about me. Um, it's about their past. Um,
0: Great distinction, by the way. Very yeah. Good distinction. yeah.
5: Yeah. For example, I I have one partner who has a more dismissive as their go-to relationship attachment style. So we would get in these loops of there being dismissive and that makes me more preoccupied and that makes them more dismissive Mm. and that makes me more preoccupied, (laughs) Uh, but being able to understand that really helps me step outside of it and go, that whole, mess isn't us. Like we're stressed out, something else is going on and realize like, we're actually good, so that's helped me be more secure just by learning about attachment.
2: Mm. I think for me is kind of coming to the realization of oh, that's why I do that thing, like putting mm-hmm. the pieces of the puzzle together, uh, like researching a lot of this, reading, thinking, processing, writing, journaling, and then connecting all these dots and understanding the why was huge for me. Mm. And I understand the why it allows me to move forward in the process. And it gives me language to define what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And so this was super helpful for me to define Mm. those things and to actually make connections between attachment theory and the stances and to see how certain parts of attachment theory are actually mirroring what is happening in the stances and I see my patterns woven throughout both of them. Does it line up perfectly? No, but are there enough similarities to go, wow, this is fascinating. And now what do I do with this?
0: The funny thing is we haven't given you any answers. All we've done is just (laughs) asked you some questions and all of you are like, man, this is messing with me in a good way. Like it's causing me to have to think more deeply about things. And that itself has opened some, windows for you, some doors for you, and uh, has helped you. sounds like maybe move, take some steps forward towards growth.
5: I mean, you give up to one some homework, we're going to do it. (laughs) We'll do extra credit
1: as well. Yeah. (laughs) I was just going to jump in and say one thing. I'm remembering the podcast that you did with Michelle. And one thing that really struck me is she mentioned this several times, that there is no one right or wrong Attachment style or stance or whatever. And so I go back to, so my primary, you know, stance is toward, I'm seeking connection and, you know, and that is also consistent with like sort of an anxious uh, attachment style. But when that is balanced and when I'm not feeling fearful or, you know, trying to make something happen... I find that that is a really beautiful way of holding other people. You like the term I kind of like to think of is like holding space for people. Mm, yeah. And that desire to to have that really secure, attached place, I think, works to my benefit or or, or works to the advantage of the space. And one of the most beautiful compliments someone could ever, give me is I feel safe. I feel like, Mm. like you hold the space. Well, like I Mm. feel seen, I feel heard and I don't feel judged. And for a one, wow. Mm. um, (laughs) What sweet words are those?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have a little insight there that just popped into my head for you once. Like that is your glory when you're able to do that. Mm. And judgment is just to me, it's the darker version of what your gift is. One of your gifts, mm. you've got plenty of them, but one of them is your capacity to create water out of chaos in the lives of other people. But when it's in the dark form, it's judgment. When it's in the light form, it's clarity. Mm. That's really good. And I think the filter in our
2: mind as I've grown as a one you're filtering in your mind as you're hearing someone talk all the things that you could say to help them. (laughs) And then you have to choose what to say, when to say it, or just to shut up and listen. And I think that just comes with maturity and self-awareness, but it it does not come naturally like that is going on in your brain. What am I going to say? Oh, I know this. And you're like connecting all these dots and Mm. that might not be what they need in that moment. They Mm -hmm. might just need you to listen.
4: That's really good. That's good.
1: I'm a spiritual director. And uh, so I hold a lot of space with people. And a lot of it is really quiet space. And before every session that I go into, one of the things I pray is that like, I will know when to speak. And I will know just as much when to stay silent.
4: Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating. But I think... You all have given us the kind of holistic picture that we're trying to paint through this series. You know, we've been progressively building a a more and more complete picture of each type with doing panels on the types, then doing panels on the instincts, now doing panels on the stances. And you get this holistic picture of how these things dance together. And... It's it's an advantage for us a little bit more than some of the podcast people can can do unless they're really good at spotting people's voices. But hearing how, um, oh, well, you know, the the sexual one who has the stance in this way, it looked more like this. And at some point, we'll like do a spreadsheet or something to, <laughs> to help people understand kind of what, what are the consistent findings. But I think you took taking us into the story was so meaningful. So I always tell panelists like people aren't really here to listen to you they're here to listen to themselves through you Mm -hmm. and to learn Mm -hmm. through you but a lot of the growth that you're demonstrating and you're expressing here is just really beautiful and I, I pray that we just continue that right that we continue in these conversations and these learnings together but what you've offered is so valuable and we are so thankful to you all tonight. Thank you so much for listening. You can find out more about us at www.theartofgrowth.org. That's the place to learn more about our comprehensive training and coaching programs for organizations around team health. And you can also reach out to us there about individual coaching as well. And there are many tools on the Art of Growth website to help you on your journey. We'd also encourage you to check out the main Art of Growth podcast. Grace and growth, my friends.